Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host, the ubiquitous Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? Ubiquitous. Andy Redwine called me ubiquitous. (laughs) I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm great. Hey, Larry, we have a guest star today. We do. Who's our guest star? Gabriel Diani is my friend, a comedian, an actor, a screenwriter, an author, and a filmmaker. His credits include Diani and Divine Meet the Apocalypse, which he co-created with his life and work partner, Edda Divine, who is equally amazing, and the horror comedy, The Selling, which is one of my favorites to crack out during Halloween. His book, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn Robotic Edition, was created to fight censorship of one of the most banned books in America. And his recent project, Mark Twain Today, uh, it's the comedy sketches that Diani produces for YouTube and also Instagram and the TikToks. You can find it at Mark Twain Today. Uh, he, Twain accidentally time traveled, I guess, to our time. During the coronavirus pandemic, he was stranded in lockdown with a woman named Diane and attempted to become a social media influencer where he Twain explains movies with hysterical results. It's really funny. It's really funny. It is. You should check it It is. Thanks. Welcome, Gabe. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate being here. A hundred episodes. You guys can sell it to syndication now. That's when the the big bucks start coming in. (laughs) Is that right? Plan. That's the plan. (laughs) You've seen our business plan. Yes. Well, what movie are we doing today? Gabriel, you picked a movie for us, and um, I what what movie are we doing today? Well, it's a little on the nose for me to pick this movie. <laughs> it's called Mark Twain and Me, and it's a Disney Channel original from 1991. Ooh. So, I want to ask the question, I know it might be a stupid question, but why did you choose this movie, Gabe? <laughs> There's the obvious answer, which I think we've all intuited, but was there anything beyond that? Um, I, I, this movie, I put it on my, my queue when Disney plus came around and was like sort of afraid to watch it. Cause like, uh, this might not be very good. And I even started watching it and was like, uh, and I turned it off and then I actually like sat down and like, and, and was in the right, right mind frame and I watched it and I was surprisingly moved. I mean, it's, it's not a perfect movie, but I was surprisingly moved in parts. And I just, um, you know, when you guys reached out about doing another movie, I thought, Uh, Not many people know about this movie, so it might be interesting to talk about. Okay. It is definitely going to be interesting to talk about. I have feelings. I have feelings. (laughs) But before we get to my feelings, Andy, do you have any key facts for us? I have lots of key facts for us. Oh, good. Oh, good. So in 1961, Dorothy Quick crafted a memoir about her childhood time with Mark Twain entitled Enchantment upon which this teleplay was based. So in his last years, Twain was really lonely. His wife and oldest daughter, Susie, had died. Uh, Another daughter, Clara, was traveling with a music career. And another daughter, Jean, who is featured in this film, uh, was in and out of sanitariums because of epilepsy. It was a disease that not people, people didn't really understand all that well, but um, that was going on with her. So Dorothy Quick asserted that because Twain had no grandchildren, He became sort of an honorary grandfather to a number of little girls he called his angelfish. And Dorothy was one of them. She met Twain on a steam liner in 1907 after his tour in England. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's 
not something that probably people would do today. And I'm not sure how sketchy that was. And there are a lot, there are people on both sides of that fence, like, oh, this was innocent or, oh, this was not so innocent. So I'm not. I want to do exactly zero research into this. Exactly. Zero. Zero. Same. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, So historian Karen Lystra says that Clemens appears to have tried to fill a deep emotional hole with fictive kin. So he hosted a number of these little girls who played endless games and entertained them with billiards and cards and charades and all that. And we see a lot of that in this film. Sure. So so in her book, uh, Dorothy includes all the letters that she received from Twain. And because of this friendship, uh, Twain encouraged her to become a writer, which she did. She wrote columns for the East Hampton Star, a newspaper entitled What's New in New York? And she wrote for other papers, the Sag Harbor Express and the County Review. She also produced several volumes of poetry, dozens of short stories, which were mostly published, and a few mystery novels. Um, When I was digging into Mark Twain a little bit, and I'm like, does he intersect with Disney at all? And of course, he doesn't um, because of just how things worked out time-wise. But he did see the stage play uh, Peter Pan in 1905, and he praised the play of the boy who would never grow up. And he wrote, The longing of my heart is a fairy portrait of myself. I want to be pretty. I want to eliminate facts and fill up the gap with charms. According to Linda Simon, who's a professor of English at Skidmore College, She says that Twain saw in Peter Pan the adolescent he so fervently wished to be eternally. And he was friends with the the young uh, uh, actress who played Peter Pan in the original production. And she was a little too old to be one of his angelfish, but she's included in in the the people that he uh, were sort of honorary or sort of in the angelfish uh, area. Yeah. So that's what I've got. That's what I've got. Well, then let's go into what I'm going to call the story. Uh, and we're going to begin. <laughs> I'm calling it the story. Guys, I'm, okay. that is me offering grace. Grace. A lot of and grace. We believe in grace. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to add, you know, we always ask when we go to these movies, what the Manish Tana, why does this movie start where it starts? And I might say, Look, you're going to get snark from me. That's my job. Okay. (laughs) I might say, why does this movie start where it starts? Why does it continue where it continues? Why doesn't it end somewhere in act two? Why does it keep going? And why does it eventually end on the note that it chooses to end on? Which is essentially death comes for us all. (laughs) Um, But let's, let's just stick with the Manish Tana for now. Where, where does this movie begin? And once we answer that, well, I'll ask the second question. It's why do we think we start here? I just just want to add that the original working title of this was Death Comes for Us All. So, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I mean, guys, this opened up some existential dread in me. I'm, I'm overcompensating now. This was a bummer. This was a bummer for me. There were sweet sentimental moments to be sure. Uh, yeah. But we can, we can come back. We can come back to that. Um, where does this begin? Well, it begins with a little girl who is on a, in a hotel and 
she's with her mother and she wants to stay up late and can't. And she's in England at the same time that Twain is. And she's sort of, it's, it's weird. The it opening, clears its throat. The it's, a, it's a throat clearer for sure. Is like like right little bit right before that, which is her like sitting in the carriage, like with like a letter that like oh, she's yeah. writing she's writing something down. And she's going like, you know, I all she's holding a copy of um, Tom, Tom Sawyer, Sawyer. Mm-hmm. and and she's we get voiceover, which you know how I love voiceover right at the start of a movie. That's always a good oh. sign. Just at the uh, beginning or the end this is the perfect place for voiceover. Nothing says we had some B-roll and we decided to make it the opening of our movie, but voiceover, where she's where she basically <laughs> says, like, like, I'm about to meet, you know, I, I always loved all the books by by Mark Twain, and then I met him, and then it changed both of our lives. Um, and then we I mean, why? Which we may not have gotten. Through the script. I mean, we may not. I I just, oh, please, friends, please. If you're writing, you, we don't need voiceover. And we certainly don't need you to announce to us what we're about to see. I, all we need to do <laughs> is see her reading Mark, Mark Twain. That's yes. it. Um, the movie is called Mark Twain and Me. So telling us in the first 30 seconds she's going to meet Mark Twain. I mean, that is, a, the, the title will tell me that. What is any of this? Right. So I would argue this is not the right place to start this movie. Mm. But I will also say, I don't know where to start this movie, you guys. Because be, I one could argue you could start this movie. Should we even be starting with her or should we be starting with Mark Twain? Well, I think... One of the the problems with this script is that it can't decide whether it is, I mean, the premise sounds like it should be a coming of age story from her perspective where she meets Mark Twain and he changes her life. And maybe it's a two-hander where they change each other's lives. But I think that the the script is trying to also make it a Mark Twain biopic. And it's primarily Mm -hmm. a Mark Twain biopic with some of those other elements put into it. Um, and I think that it's jumbled because of that. Yeah. Agree. It can't decide who it's, who, you know, we say this a lot on this program, but it can't decide who its protagonist is. The meat of it is from his perspective. The, the meat of it is, is all of his scenes, but it's from her memoir. <laughs> so like, right. there's gotta be stuff in there about what she was dealing with. All, like all the scenes with her are just about like. I gotta, I gotta see SLC or, you know, like there's not anything about, they, they bring up the stuff about her schooling, but like, that's, it's not clear why she's not going to school. Like it's just, there's a lot of underdeveloped stuff that I think if they beefed up her side of it, it might work better. And this is really exactly the problem. Generally speaking in a movie where we're going to have two characters meet. Both of those characters have an absence that they're dealing with, a flaw that they're dealing with. And in the meeting of these two characters, their respective journeys will take, you know, in in this in a Disney movie are going to take a positive turn and they're going to make each other better. She's just a young girl sitting in a carriage reading Mark Twain. I have no idea what her problem is. Her mom is a bit of a pill, um, but that's not, that's like, you know, some people get duds for moms. It's, it's a, it's a thing. I don't, I, I don't know what her problem is. And I don't know specifically why I'm rooting for her 
to meet Mark Twain, when there are so many children in the world who probably would want to meet Mark Twain, they're not selling me on her specialness. Right. And I think that's what the opening scene needs to do. That's what the op- if we saw her. So I would throw out. I would throw out. I would if I would actually put some money into this movie if we're going to make it. Um, uh, all the money is going into period costumes and what have you. But I would period, start with clearly. I would start with a little bit of visual splendor. She's in the backyard and she's and she's daydreaming. It starts in a daydream where she's pretending she's hanging out with Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. She's got her overalls on. She's got her corncob pipe. She's like she's like looking for pirate treasure. And then suddenly we jolt and she's this girl in this carriage reading, reading Tom Sawyer. And that and like and her mother won't let her stay up till past eight o'clock. She's a girl who wants an adventure. And the only person who's giving her adventure is Mark Twain. Like that would immediately tell me, oh, she's got to meet him. Like, like she's got this secret mm-hmm. private life that he's created for her. And I think that is meant to be there throughout this. But they don't really talk about. She talks about loving it. She talks about loving his work, but she doesn't talk about living his work the right. way that I think. Fans do. I lived The Wizard of Oz. I lived Harry Potter when I read those books. This girl should be living Tom Sawyer. Do you do you live Mark Twain? Okay. <laughs> On occasion, he comes to visit every once in a while. Mm. Uh, I, I would say I would I agree with you totally, but I'd also say like another way to go is that like she's this shy, introverted which is kind of what you're saying too, like, and living in the book and in her head and doesn't know how to relate to other kids, doesn't want to go, maybe doesn't want to go to school because she's so shy and he helps her to come out of her shell and to meet people and to become, you know, and to grow up and and make it a coming of age story. And I think they're trying to do that by the end, like to show that she's grown, but they just don't like show any actual growth. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, they pay off something they never set up. Yeah. Which is and, a problem. And, yeah. and I mean, the other ways you could go at the opening here, you could go with the death of Twain's first daughter, but there's going to be plenty of death going on. So I don't know that we want that. We could start with the death of Dorothy's father, but I don't want to do that either. I right. would just, oh, so, so, and I'm going to come back to this again and again. I don't know who this movie is for other than Gabe and maybe Andy. Um, I I think this is for Jason Robards. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. But, but like, this is a Disney thing. You want to capture my imagination in the first 30 seconds of of a movie. You want, Mm -hmm. if I'm a kid who's watching this, I want to, I want to be transported someplace fun. And, Mm -hmm. and this, this movie takes a while to get there. Uh, Let's, let's get through the plot, which guys, we're getting through this plot in record time. I'm, I'm calling it now. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Would you agree, agree with me? The inciting incident of this movie is Dorothy meets and befriends Mark Twain. Yes. The scene in the, on the, yes. There is correct. nothing else that it could be. We meet both of these characters. We get some exposition. Mark Twain is on a, on a tour in which he's getting an honorary doctorate. Uh, Dorothy, uh, really wants to meet him, has some run-ins with him, but eventually, like, they form a friendship. That's, that, 
The inciting incident is their friendship. There is no rising action. They just stay friends. That's the movie. They're just friends. Well, I mean, I think that, interestingly, I think the rising action is the B story. Right? I, I, I don't know what the A story is. Tell me what, well, the what a, do you mean the by the A story? <laughs> the A story, I think, is is the two of them and their friendship and how it begins and how it ends, right? Sure. Um, But I, I, I agree with you. It's completely flat. There's no, there's no loss. There's no, there are no ups and downs. There are no there's ups no- and downs. Right. The, the ups and downs come with Twain and his daughter. Well, that's, um, but that's the thing. So that's the thing. Yeah. The relationship is the that is this movie is established in that inciting incident where Mark mm-hmm. Twain takes a paternal, a paternal interest in Dorothy and they become buddies and they stay buddies and their relationship never becomes complicated. It never right. turns. They never get mad at each other. They never push each other away and then come back together. They never hurt each other's feelings. They never get close. They, they spend more time together, but it never progresses. The relationship we get in that inciting incident is the relationship throughout the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there is no A plot. You are right that there is more interesting stuff happening between Twain and his daughter than there is between Twain and and Dorothy. And and but but you're you can't just have a B plot. No. There has to be an A plot. Right. And there were times where I thought we might get an A plot. I'm gonna save the one that I talked to you about in pre-production, Andy, for my pitch. Okay. Fair um, enough. But like at one point in the movie, it looks as if Huck Finn is getting banned from a local library. And I think to myself, well, maybe the movie's going to be about that. Maybe we're going to talk about this national ban on Huck Finn and Mark Twain and is upset about it. And he's going to take a stance about it. And they have a scene that follows from it. But that's not the movie. It's just there is no story. It's just. Look at these friends. Don't we like these friends? They're friends for an hour and a half. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thats the challenge and the problem with true stories is that real life sometimes isn't very interesting and you have to invent stuff. I mean, I think that there's stuff in there that they could do, like the stuff with the daughter can relate to what's going on and cause tensions in their relationship. It just doesn't. Like if we see, we see a little bit of her jealousy. She has that line of like, I, bit, guess things, yeah. I guess things have changed since I was a kid. But then like she immediately switches and she, she loves Dorothy as well. If there was more of that, like she later says... You know, I, I never gave you grandkids and I'm disappointed. If that stuff had been seeded throughout and we had seen that and maybe like not a rivalry, but some sort of tension with her and, and Dorothy that then Dorothy wins her over. Like there could be conflict there. It's just it's just not in the movie. Or if Dorothy took a look at Twain's life and his daughter and got in the middle of that relationship and took mm-hmm. Twain to task and said, you're spending all of this time on me, but there is someone in this house who loves you and needs you. And he said what he says, basically, the doctor is, you know, my, my daughter, blah, 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 blah. And Dorothy says, she's your little girl, too. Yeah. Not just me. That would be something. That mm-hmm. would be something. And it would give her something to do do uh okay i'll get us through the rest of the plot here all right there is no rising action so let's talk about the climax this is 
and I'm going to say it the way I say it for every movie. This is the moment of highest tension. Often in movies, this is where the forces of good conflict with the forces of evil. This is the moment where things could go wrong. Guys, do you have any feelings about where the climax is in this movie? I mean, I, I have a I have a thought. Um, I, I really I really <laughs> I really thought this movie was over at the end of Act Two. And where would I you really put the thought, act of, end of Act Two? I would put the end of Act Two where Gene uh, and uh, Mark Twain reconcile. Yeah, I, I feel like that was that was sort of it, it was a natural ending, and I thought, oh, it's over. And I pause it, and I'm like, oh wow, we've got another thirty six minutes to go. What are they going to do in 36 minutes? Because they haven't built to any sort of climax. I would say the point where it feels, there are two points where it feels like things could, could go wrong. And, um, and they're both, they both relate to Christmas. It's the first, when she gives him the gift and it's like that could uh, screw up their relationship and, and then it doesn't. Um, and then that leads to, you know, him sort of embracing Christmas again. And then the other is he's totally embraced Christmas and then his daughter dies on Christmas, which is so sad. Uh, and the Carol. After his wife died on Christmas, right? Uh, right. I don't know that she died yes. on Christmas, but it, it ruined, like Christmas was a huge thing with the Clemenses when the kids right. were growing up and, and just like he couldn't bear to do Christmas without his wife. Um, and so then when, you know, the carolers come and it, that's like, that's like his final test, I think, um, or is meant to be that it's like, have you have what you learned from this little girl? Can you apply it in this moment of your greatest grief? And I think that is what the movie wants his climax to be. And then it keeps going in order to bring Dorothy back into it. So a question I have is why, why not? Why doesn't he get angry at her for bringing in the Christmas? I mean, that seems like a perfect place for conflict. She brings the Christmas present and he's mad. He's angry about it. And and maybe that's a rift in their relationship and something they have to heal and repair, right? I mean, that seems to be, there just seems to be these moments. Like you mentioned Jean earlier when, when Jean says something to her dad and about Dorothy. And then she's like, oh, but I like her now. I... It's like there are hints of that, but then we never get we never get the conflict we want. The climax of this movie, I'm going to point out what it's supposed to be. It's I I mean, it's it's what they think the climax of this movie is. Dorothy stands up to her mom to insist that they go to Bermuda to see to see Mark Twain one more time. Oh, that scene that that could be cut. That's the climax. (laughs) But that's it. But that's but that is the scene which demonstrates this entire movie. Her mom has been calling the shots, telling her when to go to bed and when to dance. Mark Twain has encouraged her to stop like listening to her mother's rules, which is a questionable message at best, but I believe it from him. <laughs> I, I believe it from him. And the, uh, the, cl- the confrontation is she knows he needs her in Bermuda. She goes to her mother and she says, I've never asked you for anything before. I'm asking you for this. We need to go to Bermuda. He needs me. Mm-hmm. And she and her mother puts up a, a little bit of a fight, but ultimately we see in the next scene, they're there. That is, those 15 seconds are meant to demonstrate that Dorothy has grown up under the tutelage of Twain and now has the ability to advocate for herself. 
But, but I am not here for that. I'm not, this is not what this movie is about. It just isn't. It's about the two of them. The climax needs to be about the two of them. Right. And, and I would, I would argue if you're going to go all the way to Mark Twain's death, which I would not go to, but you're doing mm. it because because that's where you feel it needs to be. Then it needs to be that the climax of this is Mark Twain has been trying to stay alive for Dorothy. And Dorothy lets him know that it's okay to go. And I don't want to see that movie. From, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Again, who is this for? Who is this for? You don't. I... Snow White goes off to to the with the prince and she lives happily ever after. I don't need an after the end credit sequence. Snow White is 97 years old, surrounded by the dwarfs and going, I loved you all so much. I don't need that. We don't need to take everything to its inevitable conclusion where we pass. But if if that's where you want to go with Mark Twain and me, then you got to really go there. Yeah, you gotta you gotta really do it. Um, it up. Yeah, and, and I think they, I think they, I think they think that the climax is the two of them getting back together again at the the hotel in Bermuda, where he, you know, doesn't seem to know who she is at first, which is kind of weird. And then but she does know it's if they it's play with lot. the idea that he's losing his memory. And I think that's to mess with the audience more than it is to mess with her. He's saying right. the exact same things to her that he says to her in the first scene. But right. I, I think I think ultimately, I, I don't know about you guys. I landed landed on he's just being a rascal. He's playing into right. the fact that sure. she might she might wonder if he still has his has his faculties or not. I don't know. But, but, but I not when she that- first arrives. He is acting strange and, and off when she when she first arrives and has a muted response to her being there. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when, when they're having dinner and he shows up, it's like he's, he, he's like muster. He took a nap and he mustered his strength to like lay on the charm for her. But I think in terms of what Andy's saying, I think like at, at that point, like she's the one that pulls him onto the dance floor and dance and is kind of leading the dance. Whereas before she didn't know how to dance. And that's supposed to be like, she's grown up, you know, the whole, uh, circle of life thing, you know, they switch places, right. The child is now the father, right. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. No, I could see, I could see that again. I'm imagining watching this at nine and, and, Okay, so well, well, but let's talk about that because I, you know, Avonlea is this huge thing that's happening on Disney Channel, and they are putting all their eggs in the Avonlea basket. And girls, young women are and girls are watching Avonlea like it's a huge. I mean, it's a huge thing. So I think they were trying to find other sorts of turn of the century stories, turn of the twentieth century stories um, that would kind of get girls and young make them feel empowered and bring them into a world and that sort of thing. I don't think this succeeds, but I think that's what they're thinking. 
if she was a uh, dynamic character with an actual character arc that like that that girls could and everyone could empathize with and put themselves in that place and feel the adventure of being a young person and meeting the most famous person in the world at that time and <laughs> becomes their best friend. I think that is a sort of I mean not the kids <laughs> know who Mark Twain is, but um uh, but I think that could have been something that would appeal to kids. But I think the movie as it is, is just it's just more of, it's a drama that happened to be produced for some reason by the Disney Channel inexplicably right. because that's where it landed. Um, but it's it's more for people who know who Mark Twain is. And it's an excuse to do a biopic because there aren't any good biopics of Mark Twain. This is the closest we have to a good um, Mark Twain biopic with like good acting and um, some good scenes in it. There's a Frederick March one that I like turned off after 10 minutes because it was so historically inaccurate and, uh, and just so dry and unfunny. And, and I also, well, I mean, you do have Hal Holbrook's work. Yes. But, but how accessible is that? And so I think they were hoping to, you know, Hey, kids like Anne of Green Gables, we just did this thing about, and they do a return to Hannibal piece a year before this. So they're like, Oh, maybe we, and it was it was pretty successful. So maybe they're like, okay, how can we figure out uh, how to, you know, we we've got all these turn of the century costumes. We've got all this stuff. Let's let's create some more content. That's my, how it feels to me. My theory is someone at Disney over ordered uh, spirit gum and <laughs> eyebrows. As like, what are we going to do? I just, we have to justify all of these eyebrows that we purchased, <laughs> all of this spirit gum. And the guy goes, I got a Mark Twain biopic. And like, it's the only way to write off the, 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 the cost of those makeup supplies. And, well, and that is now canon. Uh, historians <laughs> take note. That's what happened. Uh, okay, I don't think that's what happened. But okay, Jason Robards plays Mark Twain. Let's get into some characters. Um, uh, apparently, Jason Robards was reluctant to star in Mark Twain and Me. Uh, it was put to him. He put it off. He put it off. He suggested Hal Holbrook for the role since Holbrook had made a lifetime study of Mark Twain. Uh, and Robards had actually taken his father to see Holbrook on stage in 1958. But it seems the filmmakers were insistent on him and the fine. He he said in some uh, in an interview, he said, you know, the research I've done isn't in depth and it isn't anything coming from where Hal is. What you uh, what you really have to do is to go with the script and you have to make that particular script work. And in this way, I think he does a masterful job in pulling off some lines uh, some, I think he does, he is Mark Twain. I'm buying it. Sure. Uh, I don't think, I don't think, wow, that's Jason Robards in a suit. Um, I, I really am buying that he's embodying Mark Twain in this. And it could have, it could have been, I, I think he is the saving, the saving grace of this movie and why I kept watching. He's the reason to watch. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good performance. I think they are trying to, um, marry this script a little bit with Dickens of all things that that we're watching a little bit of a Christmas Carol in in the idea that Mark Twain has given up on Christmas um he has he has some uh, incidents that allow him to bring Christmas back into his heart um and and therefore he is transformed but the truth of the matter is Mark Twain is not 
a bad dude like Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of this. He's had a very specific Christmas-related trauma uh, that gets. He's a sad dude, right? I mean, he's he's, sad, dealing with grief, and and the Christmas Carol parts of it don't really resonate the way that I think as as a transformation the way that I think that they're written to be. Uh, because because he's it it's a time of year that makes him sad. Christmas is often a time of year that makes people sad. I don't I don't want to unpack that that much, but that's a, that's a real thing. Um, I think there's something to be said for like I I can come back to Christmas and re-embrace it again. There's not there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not his arc for the movie. That's his mm-hmm. arc for one specific part of his life. Most of the time, he's not dealing with his sadness in that way. You know, I don't yeah. know. Gabe, what do you think about Robard's performance here? I mean, you're somebody who spends a lot of time with Mark Twain. What kind of, uh, what do you think? I I think he's really great. I mean, the, I think the makeup um, in most of the scenes uh, doesn't look waxy. Um, there's a couple of them where <laughs> he looks a little, a little red and waxy. But I think a lot of times you, it's like, oh gosh, it just he feels transformed. He's not really doing a voice. He's doing a little bit of an accent, but he sounds like Jason Robards doing a little bit of an accent, which is fine. And but like I I find his performance like very convincing. A lot of his dialogue is just Twain writings. They just took took one quote and put it in his mouth here and one quote and put it in his mouth there. And I think it's convincing. And, and, and like this, the scenes where like he tells, um, he tells Gene that he's sorry. There's like, there's those two scenes, like really, I find very affecting the scene where he, after Gene has passed and he opens up his Christmas present from her, I think is really moving. I think it's a, I, I love it. I think it's a great performance. That's, you asked me why I chose this movie. I think it's because I was so surprised. I had low expectations going into it. I didn't have someone recommending, hey, let's watch this movie for your <laughs> podcast. Uh, I was just like, okay, uh, we'll see how this is. And I was just sort of pleasantly, um, I just really loved his performance so much that I just kind of like overlooked all of the flaws that we're talking about right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I mean, I think the performance is strong. I I Actually, I think my favorite parts, though, are the parts where a little bit of the Mark Twain's mask falls a little bit uh, because because, you know, something that happens when you're a celebrity and you're a celebrity like Mark Twain, who who, let's face it, chases historically chased the laugh and and liked to buy into his mythology a little bit um, are those moments where they're just real. Where you're not, where he's not perform, doing a performative version of himself, where he does the real version of himself, and for me, those are the moments I like the best in this movie, the the, mm. the quiet, the quiet Twain, the Twain when no one else is around. Um, yeah, I I, I agree. I, that that is definitely the highlight here. I would have loved to have seen them explore that more. That the idea of how exhausting it is to be Mark Twain all the oh, time yeah. in public, and they they try to get into it a little bit on on the boat with the the lady who keeps following him or the ubiquitous lady who keeps following him around. But it's, she just wants an autograph. Like, just give the lady an autograph and she'll go away. <laughs> like, uh, he made if that it, worse. Yeah. yeah, he made that worse. But like, you know, in real life, he would get people like, hey, will you read my manuscript? And like, just, you know, like asking things of him all the time. And if they had kind of shown that and shown how exhausting it was, and then he meets this sort of pure, nice 
person who just sort of like accepts him for who he is, uh, you know, might've, might've had a different vibe to it. For sure. For sure. Okay. Dorothy Quick played by Amy Stewart. Amy was in three episodes of Avonlea, by the way. Okay. Uh, so I think that's where we, that's probably why she got this, get, got this role. Um, and Jason Robards loved her. He asked the, he asked the interviewer, he said, have you, have you seen it? And they were like, yeah, what do you, he, they're like, what do you think? And he's like, I really like her. <laughs> so, <laughs> which I thought was pretty, pretty generous and sweet of him. Um, I wish he had more to do. Uh, that That's ultimately yep. what I keep, keep coming away with. She's, she's kind of his scene partner, but she doesn't get to say that much. She doesn't get to do that much. She doesn't get to have any genuine interactions um, it's not a performance issue. It's just, um, I, I would want to see more conversations where she gets to dominate the conversation a little bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. granted she's having conversations with Mark Twain and he would talk all over me. I am sure. Um, but, but if it's a, if it's a movie that is about like this friendship, this partnership, uh, I, I do. I want to see her take him to task about how he treats his daughter. I want her to I want her to point out some of the things that he's doing that that he mm-hmm. can do better. I want to have them have that fight at Christmas that I think Gabe suggested or, or um, you know, like I, I want some I, I, I want more. I want I want her to have more to do. And there just isn't enough at the end of the day. I don't know that this this movie is any different if you swap out one of the other angel fish for it. Yeah. What makes her special? What makes her interesting? What's her. Yeah. And is she the, is she the protagonist of this movie? What else is going on in her life? Like what, like why was she in England? They never say why she was in England. She's got a single mom raising her. Uh, and when I was reading up on it, apparently, uh, the dad just wasn't in the picture, not dead. So like, there's something going on there. Like, you know, the whole school stuff, wanting to be a writer, trying to be a writer. Like there's so many things that they could have done to just give her like something to do. That's just not to be a scene partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Mrs. Quick, Fiona Reed. Um, most people will recognize Fiona as Harriet Miller, uh, John Corbett's mom in my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, Wow. I so, did. I I did not recognize her from that. Yeah. Now that you yeah. say it, it's her. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, she's not performance, not performance, but as a character, she's dreadful. Um, uh, has all sorts of helpful helpful advice to give her daughter, like don't believe in people, don't ask too much <laughs> of them, don't 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 think that they want to spend time with you, uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, I try to teach instill those lessons into my children. I don't know about I don't know about uh, everyone, but uh, I mean, really, you wanna wanna make sure your kids are not dreamers, right? Are are we all on the same page on this? No, Um, we are not. Oh Um, no, no. (laughs) But it is a little icky that she is um, not really. Like, why doesn't she stay? It's not like it's a huge house. Why wouldn't she stay and be there with her daughter? Because or... he gets rid of her. He he set, he he works yeah, to send he... her on on her way immediately. Yeah, it 
Yeah. In real life, she would have had a sh- chaperone. The, the, the mom would have been there, but the, the movie wants to get rid of rid of her in order for them to just have scenes together and not, you know, like, so, but it's, it's, I don't know how it read in 1991, but it certainly is, you know, a little uncomfortable to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, again, someone who needs more to do. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the, the bottom line is if she tried to stand in the way of this friendship a little bit more, um, I, I mean, it, or, or was trying to steal Mark. There's one part where, where she's like, um, oh, well, my daughter goes to bed at eight, but I'm available. Uh, right. Mr. Twain. Um, if like she was trying to be her daughter's competitor for Mark Twain's attention, that would be something. Um, but, but, she she also has nothing really to do. Um, uh, okay, it occurs to me just now, like, I, I think there are times in the 90s where people were like, well, this isn't a real film. This is a TV movie. Right. And so we don't have to put in the work. <laughs> it's just for TV. And I mean, I would argue that every film's a film. And, and again, you never know where things are going to end up or, or what they're... It's not like people watch these movies today and think, oh, well, this never came out theatrically. This was just something that no, I mean, they're all on Disney Plus. They're all look they all look like movies. You know, so why not? If you're gonna spend all that time making a movie, why not make a good one? There's just no there's no conflict between Mrs. Quick, even in her daughter, that you'll have mo- moments of conflict that last for about mm, 10 seconds and then it's over. Like it's figured out. And there's nothing that lingers on into the next scene. There's no, there's no daughter going behind her mother's back. There's not, there's not a lot of that. It's, um, there's just no tension. Sad. I, I am wondering if we needed to take a leaf from Pollyanna a little bit and make the mm. mom more like Aunt Polly. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you can have a character like this who's in the way of her kids a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And and really make it that Mark Twain sees that the way that this woman is raising her child, she's raising her. If like he doesn't intervene, this child is going to grow up joyless and having mm-hmm. having neglected his own children. He's not going to neglect this one. That would right. be something. Dave, you got you got something on that? What if mom says, no, you can't go see Mark Twain. And she comes, she like Tom Sawyer's it where she like says, oh, well, I'm going to go visit grandpa or something. And she tells Mark Twain, my mom gave me permission, like something where she like sneaks away to, to go mm-hmm. spend time with him or something against her. And her mom doesn't know about it. And then mom finds out and there's conflict there. So, like that might be something. It, she's becoming it, more like the character that she's reading in the book. And again, I think that there's this tension with the filmmakers because they're like, well, that would make it more interesting, but we have to stay true to the facts, right? And movies that stay true to what really happened are usually really boring. So we have to find places where we can ratchet up the drama a little bit. I cannot imagine ever staying through a commercial break that showed up in this movie on the, when it was on mm. the Disney Channel. I, I can't imagine that there's any cliffhanger bit. But if you had this idea, she ran away from home, 
uh, there's a knock on the door. Mark Twain opens up the door, and there's Dorothy, and she's run away from home. That would be a moment you could stop, go to commercials. I'd come back. What is Mark Twain going to do, right? Uh, Ultimately, ultimately you've got to engage me. You've got to engage me. I have to be wondering... And I kept I kept texting Andy during pre-production. When is the plot going to start? When's it going to start, Andy? It needs well, we to don't, start. There there are no dramatic questions that are asked of this movie. No, there are none. I can't think of one. It's more like this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But if you guys can correct, you guys feel free to correct me. But I can't think of a. Do they meet? Oh, they've met. Okay. There's no foiling. I'm sorry. Will Mark Mark Twain Twain being sad? Okay. Well, that's, yeah. Uh, But there's no foiling happening either. Who's the person in this who is the anti-Mark Twain? Who's the person trying to, to like, fight him? Okay, conflict I'm, to him. We need more of that. We need more of, like, the world around him making demands of him. Uh, either to write something or to not write something, to recant his books, to 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 yeah. apologize, to like there needs to be okay. this pressure on him, and none just, of it's there. I just, I just, okay. There is one dramatic question, and that is, will he and Jean reconcile? That's a dramatic question that happens, and and arguably that's the most interesting thread to pull in this whole movie. Yes. Uh, Mainly because you have two incredible actors who are selling it. Uh, Gene Clemens is played by Talia Shire, who we all know as Adrian from the Rocky movies and Connie Corleone and the uh, and the Godfather. Uh, but she is she's these two veteran actors are selling. I'm buying what they're selling, right? Yeah. And and I think that is interesting. If we see Gene as sort of a foil for Dorothy, that could, that's interesting. Um, but you know the question does arise for me: Why is he so into this this young girl, but not into his own daughter? And what is what? Where's that pain coming from? Um, and then they reconcile, and it's lovely. And then, of course, you know, I'm like, oh, we're done. His no, daughter we're not, makes we're not done. a tragic, impossible choice. I don't think it's actually true of the medical science, but the medical science of that day is essentially saying her epilepsy would be cured if she moved away to the country and she stayed out of the city and stayed away from the places where he lives, Like, but that she has chosen because she loves her father to spend more time with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And what happens when he finds out that that's what her doctors were saying and she's choosing against it? Right. What does he do mm-hmm. when he finds out that his daughter is so desperate for his attention? She's putting her own life at risk. And I, 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 I mean, come on, just if you're going to put the elements of that into your movie, you got to go for it. Um, she says to him the first thing he said, she says, he's, he's like, he's like, so when are you going back to the country? And she's like, well, you know, I, I think I'll go back soon un- unless you'd like me to stay. And clearly her her reading of that line is, please beg me to stay. Mm-hmm. Please, please, please. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, if that's what the doctors say, go out to the country. Um, it's it's just ult- ultimately, ultimately, 
there, there are elements here, but they're just shying away from conflict every step of the way. And a movie with no conflict is not a movie. This is not. Right. Right. And I think that, like you said, um, Talia Shire's reading of that, how she reads that is, I really want you to stay. Like everything we're getting is subtextual with these two actors doing a whole lot of work, which is like, like it's a ridiculous amount of work for uh, like, and, and uh, they should, they should have probably gotten screenwriting credit for it. (laughs) You know what you could do? You know what you could do that that would be interesting? You could have Jean putting herself into service, making sure that Dorothy is always there with her father and being like, you're you're going to have the childhood that I wanted and I'm going to watch you have it. And then it like, like we don't know why she's doing it, but she's the one constantly bringing this girl to the house, watching her father play with this Mm -hmm. girl and that she's getting some sort of secondhand voyeuristic. This is what it would have been like for me if he'd been this person when I was a kid. That mm-hmm. would that would be something, too. And then we could be like, you know why I always came to the house when Dorothy was there? Because everything you were saying to her, I could imagine you were saying to me. Yeah. That would be something. Heartbreaking. Heart, I mean, oh, man. But, oh, but man. also redemptive, right? Yes. There's, yeah. Rede- I mean, an it's, opp- a second, a, it's a second chance for her to experience his love right. in that way. Right. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about Albert Payne, who is um, played by R.H. Thompson, who's a well-known character actor. Um, Payne was Twain's biographer. He's a member of the Pulitzer Prize Committee, but he's he's in this movie a lot. And I'm I'm not really sure why at first. And then I was like, oh, it's so that we can get inside Twain's head. And so he can. Yeah. That's the only, that's literally the only purpose he serves. And it's unfortunate. Um, I don't know. I just, it just made me cringe every time I saw him come into the room. It says something to me that we have five characters on this list to talk about. And I didn't remember this one. And I watched this movie Mm -hmm. this morning, you guys. Um, (laughs) But I actually, you know, I try to go into these movies as blind as I can when I have that opportunity. And mm-hmm. a part of me was wondering if there was going to be a romance subplot between him and Gene. And that, that like, sure. you know, uh, they, they were on the same team for charades, you know, like, you know, maybe maybe there's something there. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, I was wondering if maybe he was the son Mark Twain never had. But no, uh, he's just the guy taking his time writing a biography. Uh <laughs> <laughs> a long time. Apparently. A long time. Well, because because I guess like he, like everyone else in this movie, wants to stick around until the bitter end and make sure the story <laughs> has come to a conclusion. Oh, goodness. Goodness. I can't tell if you like the movie or not, Larry. I, I actually <laughs> wondered if at the end of this movie, we were wondering if Mark Twain would come back as a zombie. So we just needed to really see him in the coffin, really see him get buried. <laughs> A hand emerges from the ground. I don't know. I, I don't know. Will I there don't, be a sequel? I mean, it's really like it needed to, like, I agree with you. We, did, we didn't need to see all of that. And it felt like I said, the, I said this, this is my third time saying it now. The movie was over at act two. It was. It was, was done. We were done. And we were now, now we're dragging it out for no, no apparent reason. If you had started so. with his grief about Christmas 
And then you'd ended right. with him resolving it and her helping yes. him resolve it. Great. That's an art. Good bookend. It's a good bookend. I yeah. agreed. Agreed. That would be better. And if All you right. called it a Twain Christmas Carol, that would be that would be fine. Yeah. In fact, a Christmas Carol with Mark Twain instead of instead of um, Ebenezer Scrooge has so much potential in it. Yeah. You're getting into the pitches, so let's just okay, go sorry, for sorry. it. That's okay, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. So pit, pitch time. Uh, Clemens let's... Carol. The Clemens oh, Carol. Nice. Oh, nice. A Christmas Clemens. Right. <laughs> so, okay, given this teleplay and the dozens of other films based on uh, Mark Twain's writings and apparently few biopics, as I'm learning, uh, what might we do with this or any of Twain's material? Oh, any of Twain's material? Oh, that's a big oh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's all open. It's all open because I don't know that there's anything I would want to do with this. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, mean, I, had, I had opened it up. Gabe, have you given any thought to like what you might do with Mark Twain or any of his material? <laughs> a little. A little. Um, okay. In terms of this, I, th- I think I have always thought, or not always, but I have recently thought that... Um, that Twain's life would make a great American version of the crown where like, where that's about royalty and lineage and America, the American myth is that you can start from nothing and, you know, build, build yourself up and all, all that stuff. And I think that Twain represents metaphorically sort of America's development in some ways. And I think that if you do like season one as him in San Francisco establishing himself and it's sort of his origin story, there are different periods in his life where you could have different actors of different ages playing him each season. You could go through, because he had a very dramatic life and not all of it's Mm -hmm. a bummer. Um, And this could be an episode in the last season or the, the last couple of you know, where it doesn't have the weight of a movie. You can tell a smaller story with a beginning and mm-hmm. an end. Um, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be everything. Um, uh, because I just don't think that the story can support what we're, <laughs> what we're trying to, uh, get it to support. Okay. I will. Yes. I, th- I am all for that. I'm all for the Twain series. Um, and I think one season, this is my pitch. One season needs to be the innocence abroad, uh, part of his life where he goes to places like the Holy land and goes to places like, um, and, and it is just overwhelmed with how, and he's angry about it. I mean, if you read the innocence abroad, like sometimes he's just angry about like how blown up all this stuff is in the old Testament. And they're like, um, we could put this whole kingdom into one of the counties back home. Right? <laughs> it's not that big. Um, so I love innocence abroad. If you, um, I've always kind of been charmed by it. Um, ever since I read it in high school and I, I love that idea. There's a great book called Chasing the Last Laugh, which is about his world tour to pay off his debts. And mm-hmm. uh, when he was like 60 years old, and it's like, it would take a huge budget because they literally go around the world. But like, I mean, I think that would be an amazing season. And he's like building his act as he goes and like trying out material. And it's it's that sort of like, you know, it's a great uh, I'm trying to think of a you know something like still crazy where it's the rock band goes back on the on tour again and they have to sort yes. of their sea legs and stuff. I think that could, could be really fun. That's amazing. All right, guys, I, I'm going to share my pitch, which I'm going to tell you I am embarrassed to say I 
I go, I went into this movie blind and at a certain point I thought something was happening that was not happening, but should have happened. So fair. I want to throw out what this movie begins with, with Dorothy in, in the carriage, basically saying something along the lines of, uh, I didn't know it yet, but I was about to meet Mark Twain and our lives would never be the same. It is almost word for word. I mean, power paraphrase what Dawson says in The Great Mouse Detective before meeting Basil of Baker Street. <laughs> so then it put it immediately flashed in my You're mind. Not that wrong. So then when Mark Twain looks at the newspaper and sees that the cover story <laughs> is Mark Twain arrives in, in London and then there's also this thing about this jewel that's gone missing and then he makes the joke about how he didn't steal the jewel, he didn't have the opportunity. I was like, are we doing this? Are Mark Twain and this little girl gonna solve a jewel heist? And guys, that's a movie. <laughs> I want to see Mark. I mean, I mean, it's not even it's not even historically inappropriate because Mark Twain wrote Puddinghead Wilson, where he he like came up with a lot of stuff about forensic science that sure. would, would later later be used. Um, but like the idea of Mark Twain pretending to be Sherlock Holmes in London with this little girl as his Watson. And I think I think not only is this a movie, this is a series, the Mark Twain Mysteries. I was and, and it's like title. <laughs> right? Right? It, and it would work sort of like Murder, She Wrote. Every week, Mark Twain, <laughs> on his tour around the world, promoting his books, he stumbles across a murder mystery, and he's got to solve it. He's got his cigar. And 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 I love that so much. Uh, I, think, I, I think this movie really just missed the mark. If only we could find an actor to play Mark Twain in the Mark Twain if mysteries. Only, if only we could. If only we yeah. could. It's mm. a tough role to cast. Yeah, I mean, who's who's got the commitment to to get the mustache? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the hair, all of it. No. (laughs) Gabe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I I mean, I feel like uh, this is two swings and a miss. The first movie we brought in, you guys didn't like either. So hopefully, you'll bring me back for uh, for another one. Well, we definitely need to do some uh, Huck Finn stuff, and there's a lot coming down the pike. So you are a resident Mark Twain expert, so we have to have to bring you in. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please, please, please don't forget our 100th episode coming up. We want to hear from you. You can shoot us a message on our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or an email at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com to share your thoughts. And again, we'll read your comments. And uh, until next time, friends, we'll see you real soon. Rumors of our podcast have been greatly exaggerated. Thank you.